Hey everybody, welcome to Pushing Buttons, a part of the Geek Freaks Network. In this podcast, we talk all about video games and stuff adjacent to video games and nerd out about it for a little bit. My name's Kevin. And I'm Kyle. I've got a question for you. Oh, a question? I'm in trouble. Here on the Geek Freaks Network, we like to like to pop random questions at each other at the beginning of episodes every now and then, so I figured we'd pass that tradition along over here to Pushing Buttons. So the question that I've got for you, Kyle. Oh. When you're playing a Pokemon game, what starter type do you typically go with? Um, or how do you pick your starter Pokemon? Well, uh, that's interesting because the last game I played in the series was Pokemon Gold and Silver. Right. <laughs> and I haven't really done much aside from, I think, Diamond Pearl yeah. when we were working at Target. Um, I tend to lean more towards the grass type, actually. Really? Yeah. Like, I love okay. Bulbasaur. And in Gold Silver, I didn't really think much of Cyndaquil. And everyone seemed to love Totodile. And I kind of was like, okay, I guess I'll pick Chikorita. <laughs> and I think that's the name of it. It's been so long now. Yeah, I don't know. And then, uh, you know, if I had to pick up another Pokemon game because of the starters, it'd be Sun and Moon. Because I love Rowlet, the owl. He's like the grass type flying. And I watched a little bit of the sun and moon anime because my wife was into it at the time and Rowlet just looks amazing like i love that <laughs> pokemon see i'm glad i asked you this question because i know that your experience with pokemon is a lot very more broad than it's even more broad than mine is though you would say so i played fire red i played about three hours of diamond and then about two hours of shield and that was it until pokemon legends arceus I was actually hyped a little bit to play Shield Sword, but then I saw the starter Pokemon. I'm like, I don't really care for them. <laughs> they all I didn't terrible. care for. I just didn't care for like moving around in that world. Like the game felt very weird to me. I'm happy I didn't play it. I watched my wife play the hell out of it, though, and she really liked the bunny. I think it's Score Bunny. Oh, yeah. I think that's the one that I started with. In yeah. That one too. Yeah. But uh, for me, I, like I said, Pokemon, I just fell out of it a long time ago. It's really hard for it to hold my attention nowadays. So it's funny. Most people start with the fire type, it seems. You like the grass type. I've always gone for the water type myself. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And I don't know why. Like, I don't know most of the Pokemon names. Like, even in uh, Arceus that I'm playing right now, I don't know the names of the, the starter Pokemon in that. But I definitely went with the water one. And I'm super glad that I did because I evolved it into its final evolution. It's, like, called Samurott or something. Hmm. So it's a... It's got like a dark move that's like a hack and slash samurai move. It, it just looks fucking sick. <laughs> I love that thing. That game is so good. I'm still like enjoying the hell out of it, by the way. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah, I haven't seen too much of it, but from what I've heard, it's, you know, not what fans were expecting, but at least you're enjoying right. it. That's good. Yeah, it's it's definitely a good way to bring in a new audience to Pokemon or bring back people that haven't played a, a Pokemon game since about you know, silver gold <laughs> somewhere in there to get back into Pokemon. Cause it's, it's enjoyable, man. It really is. I'm glad. All right. Well, today on this episode of pushing buttons, we're talking about, this is a little long winded. It's the evolution of game distribution. So what we mean by this is basically, however you get a video game, the evolution of that all the way back, from early floppy disks and cartridges through to Google Stadia and so on. So from everything in between to now digital and now basically 
like in the cloud. Yeah, it's like meta, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. I don't don't want to make me throw up live on. Yeah, the exactly. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, to kick that off, did you ever play any games on a PC that were on either the the harder floppy disks, the three and a half inch floppy disks? Or those big actual floppy disks that were, I think, four or five and a quarter inch. Did you ever play any of those old school floppy disk games? You know, it's interesting because my first real exposure to gaming was actually through my older brother's PC at the time. He had an original floppy disk based PC and I would play games like Doom and RTSs like Command and Conquer, which I think were floppies. Um, I know Doom was. I don't know about Command and Conquer. But yeah, uh, there are a lot of games that were both DOS based and Windows based that you had to have the floppy disk for. That's right. DOS. Yeah. You had to run everything out of that program. Basically, (laughs) I completely forgot about that. Yeah. Watching people today try like using MS DOS. It's like what it'd be what people think of hacking, (laughs) like just typing in command prompts into a into a little black box on your computer. I mean, it's such a versatile platform because, you know, you and I, we've had exposure with it through our jobs. We would have DOS-based programs for inventory management. It's like, what the hell? How are we still <laughs> using this in 2020? Yeah, that was that was really a... <laughs> I'm glad you guys upgraded to a Windows-based platform on that. Yeah, it, it's been a nice change. <laughs> um, I played a lot of games back then on that. My dad was My dad was really big into... PC gaming back in the early 90s all the way through my childhood and even up through me being in high school he was into that stuff but on his computer and then we ended up getting his hand-me-down when he upgraded I Jazz Jackrabbit I don't know if you've ever heard of Jazz Jackrabbit I think it was a Cliff Blazinski game before Epic Games I could be wrong and I wish I had the the balls to spot check this while I was recording but I don't I'm pretty sure Jazz Jackrabbit was a Cliff Blazinski game it's a 2D side-scrolling game, obviously, because it was back on, you know, Windows 3.1, mm-hmm. um, where you're playing as a jackrabbit with a gun. It was basically the original Duke Nukem, but with a jackrabbit instead of a trash-talking white dude. <laughs> <laughs> you're looking this up right now, aren't I you? I am, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have to I have to see what's going on here. It's a fun game. It, well, it was a fun game, if my memory holds. Jazz jackrabbit. Yeah. What are you finding on it? Basically, a series of platform games featuring Jazz Jackrabbit, a green anthropomorphic hare who fights with his yeah. nemesis, Devin Shell, in a science fiction parody that. of the fable, The Tortoise and the Hare. Okay, okay. Does it say who created it? Um, Epic Games. Cliff Bozinski. Oh, it was l- like legitimately epic yeah. at the time? Yeah. Okay, okay. So I guess my, my history of doing business with Epic Games goes back to before I knew what doing business was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was uh, also trying to remember, like, you know, we were probably not even eight years old at the time when DOS was really in its prime. And, uh, you know, I was thinking more along the lines of educational games. Okay. Like, for me, a big one was Oregon Trail, of course. I don't know if you've ever. Yeah, okay. It's pretty much every kid know- our age has probably played it. I actually have never played it. <laughs> <laughs> I have never played that game ever in my life. Oh, okay. Which is a weird thing to say, not only because we live in Oregon, but because no matter who you ask our age, 
that person played Oregon Trail as a kid, mm-hmm. and I didn't. It's really weird. I don't know how to cope with that. I but, mean, there's so many remakes of it now. Like it's truly a timeless game. Oh, yeah. I think you yeah. gotta play it at least once to get the exposure to it. To maybe understand that's a good. It. Maybe that's a good stream idea. There you go. Like, the <laughs> best part about Oregon Trail is that you could name the characters after your friends, and you can see which ones die along the way. <laughs> I used to do that all the time. Oh man, damn it, Kyle! You died of syphilis again. <laughs> Well, maybe dysentery, but yeah. No, I'm going with syphilis in this one. I don't think that was an option. Oh, in my version, it is. Trust me. That'd be interesting, like an adult-based Oregon Trail. I'm sure. Yeah, I don't want to think already, too hard about it. Yeah, uh, let's move on. Have you seen the games that come out on Steam? Anyway, uh, yeah, that's that's a good way to transition from. Did you ever play any of the um, those point-and-click adventures that were on? floppy disk back then uh zach mccracken maniac mansion monkey island any of those games i know the relevance of monkey island but i never really saw that until much later when xbox live had it gotcha and they remade it yeah that remake was pretty a remaster whatever it was pretty cool because it was one of the first remasters that you could flip back and forth between the old school graphics and the new school graphics kind of an innovator at the time it was pretty cool yeah i enjoyed it uh er Early console cartridges all the way from back from the Atari um, up to the Nintendo 64, I think, might have been the last cartridge based. Um, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. N64 was the last one or Game Boy yeah. Advance. Actually, actually, no. Uh, if you if you want to talk handhelds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. True. The, the DS, the DS had cartridges, too. Mm-hmm. Well, OK, maybe that's. Know, would you consider those SD cards to be cartridges? Well, yeah, true. They're like memory cards, essentially. Yeah, they're not so much physical media specifically made for games, I guess. Right. Yeah, I, I would say that's fair. Yeah, it's open to interpretation. Either way, there were, most of the consoles through our childhood had cartridges up until the CD-ROM was, you know, mainstream. Um, the Sega Genesis was a, the big one for me If there was, uh, before the Nintendo 64. Holy shit, those two consoles are my childhood. Mm-hmm. If I had a Sega Genesis, a Nintendo 64, and was watching Power Rangers in the background, that was me as a kid. Like, just everything you need to know about me as a child. Yeah, I didn't own an NES or Super NES. I had a Genesis for a little while, but yeah, my main exposure was, of course, the N64. Like, truly an amazing console. Top three favorite games off the top of your head. Don't think about it for the N64. Go. Zelda Ocarina of Time, Super Smash Brothers, Mario Kart 64. Nice. I was going to go GoldenEye, Super Mario 64, and uh, Zelda Ocarina of Time. Nice. <laughs> it's like just boom off the top of my head. <laughs> I'm sure there are some other games that were really good or even better than some of those. But, you know, speaking of Ocarina, like it was so awesome. They had the gold cartridge for the original pre order collection. And I had that. Like that was still one of my favorite gaming memories of all time was getting that for Christmas. And I'm actually on the hunt to get another golden cartridge uh ocarina of time that's in relatively good condition just to kind of have that and say yep i still have it you know <laughs> so my copy of ocarina of time is lost to it's lost in the ether and it mm-hmm. wasn't a gold one i have one nintendo 64 cartridge to this day in my closet and it is majora's mask but it is the gold cartridge nice with the holographic yeah. uh, sticker, too, I think. I don't even think it had this one. I don't even think this one had a holographic sticker. Oh, okay. I think it's mm-hmm. just a gold cartridge for the sake of it being a gold cartridge. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
it might have been gold because it came with that memory pack expansion thing that you have to put in the front of your Nintendo so it had enough ROM to be or enough RAM to be able to play uh, uh, Majora's Mask because for some reason that one required more memory yeah, did, in the yeah. actual console than most of the <laughs> other games. That's so strange. Could you imagine having to upgrade a console in this day and age to be able to play a game? No, not really. I, I mean, I think that's really the only thing of its kind, aside from outright buying a new console, like right, like the PS2 Slim or the Xbox 360 Slim or PS3 Slim. Well, the Nintendo 64 even had, uh, like, the Rumble Pack was removable in the controller. I know. And then after that, every controller just started having built-in Rumble features, which I freaking hate, but... Well, I think it's, it's useful a good thing. in some games. At least we're not having to buy a Rumble Pack anymore. <laughs> I, I never liked the Rumble Pack. I didn't get the idea. There are some games, very, very few games that use it in a in a meaningful way. Like when you're approaching a secret area or something, and it starts, you feel that like the tingles start to rumble a little bit, and then it gets bigger as you get closer to it. I like that. Whenever you get hit, and it just <laughs> pisses me off. I play my PC right now. Whenever I'm playing like a mouse and keyboard game, my controller stays plugged in and it's on my tower, which is under my desk. There was a game that I was playing and I died in the game and my controller vibrated off of my computer and fell onto my chair and scared the shit out of me. <laughs> I just heard this loud rumble. <laughs> like, That's happened to me too. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all because of fucking Nintendo back in the day wanted to include this rumble pack feature in the back of their controllers. <laughs> uh, it's a. It's a Nintendo gimmick that stuck around, and I wish it didn't. I'm happy, That'd though, a- that it's, you know, a built-in, like, feature for controllers now to have rumble. I still don't n- see the need for it, personally. Well, it's nice to get that, uh, I'm not sure of the word, like, tactile feedback. That's exactly, yeah, that's exactly the phrase I Okay, use. yeah. I, I, I really like it. I, like, a good example for me would be Star Fox 64. Like playing yeah. that with the Rumble Pack was amazing because you really felt like you were in the game. Like the ship was shaking in your hands, basically. Yeah, to me, though, I, I, I get that. And that makes sense. Um, and as a kid, I definitely liked it, especially in games like Star Fox. But like, I, I prefer playing most games with mouse and keyboard because they don't have that rumble thing. I just mm. I don't know. I feel like there's a gimmickiness to it that, that it's just unnecessary. And just when I have that and it's in the back of my head that it's not necessary, it like starts aggravating me over time. I don't know. I can't really explain it. I'm a weird guy. But um, in essence, I think cartridges in general, I think what's so unique about them is it's like the heaviest version of physical media. Like you really bought a game cartridge based game and you felt that value in your hands, like all the plastic and the components inside, like the circuit boards and whatnot. You know, it had the most elaborate designs, too. Like the N64, I think, was incredible for its cartridges. Like, it was so fun to plug them in and just feel that clunk. Like, you know, switch it on and bam, you're in the game. Like, you don't we'd deal with that remiss. anymore. Yeah. We'd be remiss if we didn't bring up the whole blowing into the bottom of the cartridge <laughs> thing. I, I Everybody's probably thinking about it right now. Just that feeling. Of <sighs> stick it in. Sometimes you have to open up the little flaps on the console and blow in there really quickly. Uh, physical cartridges like that were when pre-ordering a video game was necessary to ensure that you had an early version of the game or the earliest possible version of the game and that a game didn't sell out. 
Can you imagine that right now? Like if games could physically could sell out digitally. You got a good point. Like, yeah. Like with digital, you don't ever have to worry about it, you know, right. disappearing unless, of course, the developer decides to stop selling it, which or the publisher, right. excuse me. And that does happen. For yes. Sure. Yes. Like we've seen. We'll get into that later. But with physical. Yeah, you had to worry about that. It was a limited time accessibility because they get taken off the shelves unless it was super popular. And uh, do you? Yeah. Did you pre-order very many games as a kid, like before high school, before the PS2 era? Um, not so much for the cartridge based, but definitely for PS2, GameCube, Xbox. I did a lot of that. Yeah. I remember the very first game that I ever actually pre-ordered. And I know this is encroaching on another topic for another time territory, but it was I hate bringing it up because now Activision Blizzard is my is my Ubisoft and I have to bring them up every episode now. Um it was the the expansion pack to Diablo 2, hmm. Lord of Destruction. It was the very first pre-order that I remember actually going into a GameStop store and EB Games I think at the time. Or even before EB Games is Electronics Boutique. Uh That's went right, into yeah. the, to that store and actually gave them money and walked out with nothing and it felt so freaking weird, but when they called and I answered the phone and they said, hey, your game's ready. That feeling of, of just that excitement, like, holy shit, I get to go to the store, pick up my game, go home, install it, play it. And now as an adult, you I that? dread that. <laughs> yeah, well, th- that's the thing is we don't even have to do that anymore because nope. all we, we just click the refresh button if we're that excited for it until, you know, 10 a.m. when Steam uploads it or Steam gives you access to it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so funny. It's amazing. Like the contrast between the two different timelines or time periods. <laughs> they're basically there timelines be. now i mean I after there might be yeah another timeline where we're <laughs> still playing like games off like where pcs actually still have blu-ray drives and stuff because i don't even have a disc drive on my pc Same. yep there's no yeah. point there's no point yeah <laughs> everything's digital which we'll get to that um shit what, what else were we gonna say are we still in cartridges i think we're, we're still, still in cartridges. cartridges yeah yeah um but i do want to talk about the best actual cartridge that existed before we move on the best cartridge to have ever existed was the Sonic and Knuckles Sega Genesis cartridge because it had a flip top that you could put another game inside of. And it worked specifically with Sonic 2 and Sonic 3 because you could play as Knuckles in those games. But if you put any other game into that cartridge and played it on the N64, you would just get random special stages that were in the style of the Sonic 3, Sonic and Knuckles special stages. And you could just play... It was like the, the world's first roguelike, like, bef- I guess not the world's first. Yeah, the world's first roguelike because rogue existed at the time, but no other games did mm. that were like it. Um, where you could just keep playing random levels over and over again, depending on how many cartridges, cartridges you had that you could just stick on top of that Sonic and Knuckles cartridge. You missed out on that, though, didn't you? I do recall that, actually. A friend of mine okay, had okay. that same edition. And I do remember, like, it was like the game and then that on top or vice versa right. or something and there's a picture floating around the internet somewhere of someone like putting all these games and game cartridges and stuff like systems that went into each other and yeah. just stacking them all and it, it, it's a meme somewhere but i think the game the thing actually worked because they were all like accessories that went with each other to build this like weird ass tower of cartridge <laughs> console awesomeness i think sega was really the main proponent of that 
I think. Yeah. They had they so had, many add-ons like Sega CD and Sega 32X, I think. the thir- I was going to say the 32X and the, the yeah. Sega CD uh, specifically, yeah. They had like just those little attachments that you put on. They were attachments that you just put on to your Genesis, right? Yes. Yeah, you plugged it directly into it. Yeah. Or your Saturn, one of the two. I, I don't that, remember. Yeah. I, I never had a Sega Saturn. But but speaking of CD, what's I think it's a good way to move on to that. Um, yeah. CD. Wow. That was quite a platform that really opened up the door for a lot of new advancements in gaming. I never played a Sega CD. I've played games that were made on the Sega for the Sega CD, but like on my PC, <laughs> <laughs> like I've got Sonic CD on in Steam on Steam. Mm-hmm. I was thinking oh. specifically a PC like CD really opened the door for a lot of new graphical implementations. It really grew in popularity as well with PlayStation and Dreamcast. Yeah, uh, the the games that I disliked specifically for having CD as the actual physical propo- uh, component of it was when you got to the end of a disc and you had to switch it out to another disc. Mm-hmm on like playing a final fantasy game and you've got like four discs to play through that got kind of old to do that kind of stuff. Metal gear solid had two discs. I think um, even installing games on a PC. Uh, I think it was Lord of the rings, a battle for middle earth two. That was at the time when they were releasing games on both CD and on DVD, but I didn't have a DVD player in my PC at the time. And it's a five CD game or a one or two Blu-ray game or DVD game. I had to install five fucking CDs one after the, <laughs> any time I wanted to uh, reinstall that game. It was a very big reason why I stopped it, reinstalling it after I got done playing it. Well, it's a, you know, a product of its time. Like, yes, I personally like that. Like I played final fantasy seven through nine, as well as Metal Gear Solid and Xenogears. And I actually really like that feature. Because it could allow for the game to be even more expansive than it could have been limited by one disc. So it, you well, know, it, yeah. it showed a lot of forward thinking for the developers. For sure. Like, hey, we could stick with one disc and maybe get a quarter of the game we want, but let's just go ahead and make it four discs. And now, you know, Final Fantasy VII is one of the, considered to be one of the best JRPGs of all time because of it. Mm-hmm. I think it says a lot yeah. about Nintendo 64, too, that they stuck with cartridges. And because of that, they lost a lot of third-party support because CD was so much easier to develop for. But yeah, could you imagine if there were games on the N sixty four that were like, okay, you're done with cartridge number one, now put in cartridge number two. What the boxes <laughs> for those games would look like, just based on the the physical size of the cartridge versus the physical size of a CD. Be a damn heavy box, I'll tell you that. <laughs> As a kid, it'd be like a ten pound weight. <laughs> Back in those days, though. You'd at least get a, a colored instruction booklet and maybe a poster for the game that came with it. That was amazing. Which is, yeah. That was the, the, the one reason that physical versions of things were better at that, at, for a time than digital versions of things because they came with that kind of stuff. You had the instruction booklet. You could get a poster for it in the, in the package. The packages looked cool back then. Yeah, even like PC, CD-ROM boxes were amazing. Yeah. Like. My oh, older yeah. brother had a bunch of these, like StarCraft and World of War, or excuse me, Warcraft, not World of Warcraft. <laughs> but that also came out, I think, on CD, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like those physical boxes were incredible. They had such great artwork on them. 
and especially oh, yeah. the ones that would open up like the little flap and it would give you like a synopsis of the game as well as oh. images of the game. Some of my really best cool. memories during that time were going to like a Fred Meyer or something and going to their electronics section and just opening up those front flaps that you're talking yeah, about yeah. on PC games and trying to like getting a sneak peek. You can only see so much on the back of the box, but you could triple that amount of space by having a foldable flap on the front that you could also see like in-game images for too before the internet ruined the necessity for any of that. <laughs> but Sadly. Oh man, I sound so old now, don't I? We both do. <laughs> But I think uh, the best console for CD, I mean, aside from PC, of course, it'd be PlayStation, hands down. Like We saw so many great games in that format for that time. Which, which PlayStation are you talking uh, PlayStation about? PlayStation 1. PlayStation? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, there's so many great PS1 classics that came out in this time period, like the Resident Evil trilogy, Final Fantasy, Silent Hill. Like, there's a lot of cool stuff in that category. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Tony Hawk. Yep. That's another one. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, shoot. What other? There is a lot. They had, I think we talked about this in the wrestling games one, but they had some of the worst wrestling games on the PlayStation. <laughs> yeah, they were Those are very held back by the media at the time. <laughs> See, and that's funny, too, because the ones that were on the, the actual cartridge that they had like less physical memory or less memory to actually deal with were better than the ones that had a whole CD's worth of shit that they could have room for. Mm. And the console, or the, the cartridge ones are always better. Weird. You know, like games like Silent Hill, like they actually had to utilize that memory, like how little there was. So they came up with the fog as a way of masking yeah. loading times. Like that was incredible. Yeah. It's like, who thought of that? That's such a genius idea. There are a lot of examples of really good innovations that happened in games like uh, or really bad. If you think about some other ones like elevators and Mass Effect, mm -hmm. those are load screens as well. There's a lot of ways that people worked within limitations of video games to try to come up with something other than a loading screen or other than invisible walls. Or I, I think the fog in Silent Hill is the best example of that. But there are so many other examples, especially in this time frame oh, yeah. of limitations being worked around in those regards. Another all time, I have to mention this is like the doors in Risen Evil, like they would be loading screens, but you wouldn't really think of that when you're playing the game because it's so immersive. And those doors, they build up the dread of not knowing what's next. And <laughs> such incredible game design. Like, I really give them props for that. That's awesome. Yeah, it adds to the, the ambience of the game while still working technically. effectively. Yeah, exactly. As a loading screen. That's great. Yeah, Very that's good awesome. Stuff. Yeah, I love those games so much. <laughs> Wasn't it? Uh, I think it was Konami that actually patented or copyrighted. Um, copyright? I don't know. <laughs> uh, the ability to have like an interactive loading screen like that was a thing that only one company could do until I think either this year or last year and I'm pretty sure it was uh, hashtag fuck Konami that did that I could be wrong either way That's... hashtag fuck Konami but <laughs> yeah nowadays yeah back then they made some great games though yeah they did that's why you can fuck them now because they don't make those games anymore they're just cash cows for their uh, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> well, to tie into that, like Castlevania Symphony of Night, I think is the best Castlevania game. Bar none. That was a two disc game too, and wasn't that it? was, I think it was not. Or is it three? A two disc. It was. It was one. I believe it was one disc. Yeah, because what they did was this. They this, flipped the, they flipped the map it. of the castle, 
yeah to make that the end game like the second half right. of the game and that was such incredible thinking to reuse those assets in a unique and interesting way that's right instead of making it a two disc game right. yeah they just yeah they literally flipped it on its head <laughs> you know i i don't think cd gets enough credit because you know not only for gaming but for music too like it was revolutionary for music distribution especially yeah. later on in the early 2000s when you could burn your own cds like yeah it doesn't get enough credit it it led to the advancements that we're used to now for sure but they also had some very very hard limitations you get one scratch on a cd the whole thing is unusable yeah that's made that probably the major downfall of it for sure and for music if you had like a walkman or something you walk anywhere with it. You had to find one that had like a 30 <laughs> yeah. second buffer anti-skip yep. to be able to, to listen to your music without it skipping. Any I remember switching slight movement. Yeah. So it would skip like crazy. <laughs> I remember switching from CD to my very first MP3 player. And I was like, oh, my God, I can actually move like I was like trying to move slowly at first whenever I was wearing it because I was so used to having to avoid skipping a CD while I was walking with it. That it like made me think that same thing for a little bit with a as a generic MP3 player before those things blew up. Mm-hmm. Like I'd try to walk carefully with it with that one leg that it was on just to avoid. It's like you can't skip an MP3. What are you doing? <laughs> I mean, it says a lot about CDs because you know when iPods first came out, I never got one. I always relied on my CD player, right. and that lasted me till my senior of high school, which was like 2006. Like it was a very versatile media form for sure. Yeah, that's what. Uh, that's what got me through a lot of hours in programming class <laughs> in high school. I recall those was days. That CD Walkman. Yeah. When you introduced me to music. <laughs> I introduced you to a lot of different music back then. That's for sure. Mm-hmm, now mm-hmm. That's that's a that's definitely another topic Absolutely. for another time. Because that's a fun, fun topic of uh, music. Could you imagine a music episode of Pushing Buttons? Video game music. We should do it. That's another that topic for another time. That is a long overdue topic for another time. <laughs> yes. Very Let's much. Let's pencil that one in for sometime in March. Absolutely. I think that'd be a good idea. Um, go, going straight from CD to DVD and Blu-ray. Wow. Same concept, but holy shit. The doors the were ima- pushed open for game yes. development during DVD era. Oh my God. Like being able to put, I think it was three or four CDs worth of content on a one DVD. Yeah. Massive jump. And then multiplying that again for Blu-ray when that was a thing. Holy shit. So for the consoles that use DVDs, I think that was exclusively the Xbox 360 and the PS3. Uh, PS3 was Blu-ray. PS3 was Blu-ray. Yeah. And that was actually the first console to include Blu-ray. But if we're talking DVDs, PlayStation 2, that was okay. the release of DVD. Yeah. Gotcha. Because uh, okay, Sony, so- they included a DVD player in their console. And this was like 2000. It was like insane. And right. DVDs were only just being introduced as a format. And, you know, games back then, it was really early, but you would eventually get huge games like Final Fantasy X or Metal Gear Solid 2. And, Gran Turismo 3, I think. And wow, yeah, that just blew the doors completely off the hook, basically. Yeah, uh, PlayStation 2 is probably the single greatest generation of video games for what it did for gaming, because it it popularized almost everything, like as far as gaming goes. That's when gaming became less of a 
Oh, you're a nerd. <laughs> oh, cool. You're a nerd too. Pound it, bro. <laughs> I think it's the PS2 era of video games that really made it uh, accessible. And it, a lot of it was because of the DVD format that their games were be able to sell on because you could fit so much content on it. The graphics were the graphic capabilities were better. So people were starting to take gaming a little more seriously because before that you'd have, you know, either pixelated games or horribly rendered 3D games. But on DVD, you could fill a lot more like visual content as well as actually gameplay content onto one disc. Yeah, I think this is when you really start seeing like really advanced environments in gaming. Like I think a great example of this, you know, I've already mentioned Metal Gear Solid 2. Wow, that game felt like years beyond what we were experiencing at the time with cartridge-based gaming. Like the environments in Metal Gear Solid 2 are just bar none incredible. And you know, we even saw faster loading times during this. Yeah. And DVD is just such a wide storage space or storage capacity physical form of media. Like you could fit so many different textures and, you know, really open up level design as well, which we did see during this generation of gaming. So I love chiptune music in old school cartridge video games. But the, the CD and especially the DVD made it possible for full-blown soundtracks like these orchestral scores and stuff that you see in games now. That, that was because of the DVD and it being able to hold so much on the actual disc. Not to mention uh, voice acting, too. We got oh, yeah. lots of voice huge. acting during this generation, and it made a huge difference in storytelling. And I think that's what led to the prominence of narrative-based games. Yeah, for sure. Because there weren't very many narrative-based games before this because most of them you would have to kind of fill in the gaps yourself or read the instruction booklet to see what the the origin of the story actually was and you're able to get a full-blown narrative experience on a dvd yeah i mean i think at this time we only really saw voice acting on pc like the only ex clear examples of this for me are the command and conquer series we had those yeah. fmv cutscenes, and even on cds with you know resident evil that had some voice acting and whatnot but dvd allowed it to be much more high quality and because of that like the story based uh games had a stronger narrative because of it to put that into like comparative terms to a sega genesis cartridge that opening sega at the beginning of <laughs> most games that yeah. took up like three quarters of the cartridge right there so that's surprising yeah yeah just that little sound clip so being able to go from that to having full on voice acted games with uh, overarching OSTs in the background with all the, the, the faster load times and all the other stuff that we talked about before. Just huge for gaming. Probably the biggest step up in gaming was during that time. And I think the PS2 was the biggest proponent of that. You know, it's so weird that Nintendo had, has to always go against the norm because they went with the mini DVD. And I think the reason for that was more so focused to combat like piracy or licensing costs for DVD. I'm not too sure what the main contributor of that was. It might have just been the physical cost of them was less because they could produce more of them with the same raw materials. But I think GameCube is the only console to use mini DVD. I'm not mistaken. I, I, except for you. Yeah, I was going to say UMDs. Okay. Uh, okay. I know the, yeah. The PSP used. Mm hmm. But I think even then, they, they weren't very 
big. It was mostly just the regular size DVDs. That was such a weird else. thing, UMD, because it was like enclosed in plastic, even though it was a DVD. Well, do you want to talk about the the HD DVD versus Blu-ray? <laughs> I think it's time. Yeah, that was the, a huge next like the step. battle of 2007 or something like that. Yeah, I remember people were hyping up HD DVD like insane. And, you know, it makes sense because DVD was so successful. So at, at the time when uh, they were both coming out, they were both mostly used for movies. But of course, it did pop into gaming with uh, Microsoft taking the HD DVD side and Sony taking the Blu-ray side because they both had stakes in those formats. I was working at Target and I remember we had a couple sections of HD DVD and a couple sections of Blu-ray when it first started coming out. And I was, any discussion that I had with anybody else at work there about it is, which one do you think is going to win? Which one do you think is going to win? <laughs> and I'm like, I would back my money on Microsoft nine times out of ten. And would have thought that the HD DVD would have won. I think simply because the name Blu-ray is a lot easier to say than HD DVD. I think that was the what actually made the Blu-ray well, take the cake on that one. I mean, from a marketing perspective, yeah. Like, yeah. Blu-ray is, but marketing is everything. so much more fun to say. <laughs> I mean, there was there much of a difference with them uh, capacity-wise? I, I don't have the specs in front of me. I didn't even look into that. Um. I believe it did. It had superior storage as well as, yeah, Blu-ray. And it had uh, faster read-write speeds to support higher resolution gaming. And I think that's why it edged out HD overall. I still think it's the marketing behind Blu-ray. It sounds a lot cooler and it's a lot easier to say than HD DVD. Like, who does that? Why would you ever call it? DVD is hard enough to say. It's not even that hard, but Adding two other stupid letters in front of that, even if it means high definition, you can know what it is without thinking about it. I, maybe that was the point was because what the hell is Blu-ray? <laughs> <laughs> I know it was, uh, you know, uncharted territory. I mean, we had I think HD DVD didn't even last a year, did it? I, d- I don't think so. No, it was it was over pretty. Quick. It was very fast. Like I was surprised at how quickly they dropped it all together and then incorporated Blu-ray into their own technology uh, Microsoft. That is. I think I think the zip drive and the zip disk lasted longer than the HD DVD did. Did you ever have a zip drive or use any zip disks? No, I didn't. They were the they were the the format of they were like the final form of the of the floppy disk. Like a regular floppy disk could hold like three and a half megabytes. Mm-hmm. This version, the zip disk, could hold one hundred megabytes. So it was. Like, oh my god, I could fit all of my music onto one zip disk and transfer it from uh, my computer to your... Not that I would have ever pirated music as a kid. No, never. I would never have done that. No. You wouldn't, you know, download a car, would you? (laughs) No, no, of course not. You can't... Of course not. No. So why do it with music? It doesn't make sense. (laughs) Nice. Um... So obviously, Blu-ray people still use that for the consoles nowadays. Yeah, surprising um, actually that we're still using Blu-ray in 2022. Well, what would you think it would be then, if not digital? That's a good question. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think there's any need to to innovate a new physical format. I mean, I think the Switch did it best because they didn't have to make their own new version of a physical physical game they actually just used a pre-existing sd card and just 
iterated on it a little bit to probably to fit more stuff on there. But yeah, which yeah, I don't uh, think before then SD cards were really used as like memory for photo cameras. Yeah, mostly for cameras and then or video cameras too, I guess. Also for uh, quickly removable storage on PCs to some extent as well mm. before flash drives got huge. Oh, yeah. Flash. Yeah. USB sticks. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I don't think there were ever any games on flash no. drives, though. Well, that would be cool. But I mean, you know, nowadays you could put anything in like right. an executable file and bam, you're good to go. So I think when uh, when thumbsticks flash drives first came out, the storage capacity was so small and the 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 read write speeds on an actual USB drive was so slow compared to the USBs that we have now. That it was just not feasible, Man, game, it, I guess. USBs are crazy because they start off with like two, four, eight, and then yeah, 16. Megabytes. And then, megabytes. Oh, I was talking uh, gigabytes, but really? Megabytes? No, there, there were ones that had like, it was 128 megabytes. Oh, I didn't know that. And then they started getting bigger. And it was before. Yeah, there were there were some small fucking USB sticks. Yeah. Like they were the same physical size, but held like a tenth of a gigabyte. I have a great story. So I went to New York in 2009 for a family vacation and I was in Times Square and I needed a USB stick because I wanted to take more photos or something. And okay. uh, I went to this tourist trap of an electronic store right in the middle of Times Square. And they had a USB stick for like eight gigs and they were charging $200 for it. And I was like, no, that's, that doesn't sound right. And it's because they know every sucker <laughs> off the plane is going straight to Times Square and yep. taking pictures. That's exactly that is. It was the epitome an eye-opening capital, experience. Capitalism. Yeah, it was really bad. So I walked to like a Walgreens, I think, two blocks away, and I found one for like twenty bucks. That was like <laughs> half the size. I was like, okay, I'll just do this. Yeah, I was like, holy shit, man! <laughs> <laughs> uh, think of how many CDs you would have needed to carry. Oh, I know. I, I still have a CD case full of my old Metallica, Megadeth, Nine Inch Nails, Tool CDs somewhere. I still have all of my my PC game CDs and DVDs in my closet. I just don't have the boxes anymore because mm. they mm. took up way too much space with how often I was moving about a decade ago. Mm. <laughs> they took up way too much space. So I did have the original World of Warcraft box. What you mentioned that earlier? I was thinking I bought that game. Shortly after launch, I had the vanilla. Wow. I still have mine. Box. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> Good times. I like yeah. the, you know, the physical, like holding it in your hand versus digital. I value that more. But what do you think? Do you think digital's going to be the mainstay moving forward? Oh, I don't think there's any discussion needed on whether or not it's going to be. It's just that's true. Yeah, it, it. I mean, it is. That's just how it is. And I know probably three, four years ago, we had an episode on Pushing Buttons Classic about digital versus physical. I've always been a proponent of a digital video game distribution. I love physical copies to some extent, but I don't have the space and I don't think all the, the waste in plastic is worth it necessarily. That's true. I, did, I do like the look of all the boxes. Having the artwork is fantastic. Having the physical thing is cool you you think that you own it even though you still only technically own the license to play it even if you have a physical version of it um digital games are just so much faster so much easier and take out so much of the 
the possibility of you playing a game that's not ready if you have it on a physical version, not ready for release, and they release it anyway. There's no way to patch it. Right. I think there's a big downside to that, though. That's its major strength is, you know, the developers, they don't have to invest a lot of resources into finding a storage media for the game itself, and they can devote that time towards patching the game and having that released digitally as well on day one, usually. And yeah, I I think it makes more sense for curation as well. I think digital is really advantageous because it's digital in essence and not physical. And not to mention if it was physical, you know, it will erode over time. Whereas with digital, you know, you can easily store that. I think it's much more easy to manage overall. Right. And there's no uh, physical limitation to how many that too you can sell. So it's good for the publisher, good for the developer, good for, uh, for the most part, good for the end user. But then you, like you mentioned with the day one patches, that's become the norm now. DLC has become the norm. Whereas before you would have uh, more sequels and expansions. Now we get like little $5 nickel and dime DLC packs for skins with a side mission that we wouldn't have had before or something stupid like that. And now pre-orders, we mentioned those with the physical copies. Um, that was something that was actually worth pre-ordering at the time, I, I, in my opinion, because you're making sure that you get it. Whereas with, when you pre-order a digital game, there's no inherent value to it, with the exception of the GameStop exclusive skin or whatever digital additions they add to it to try to entice you to get your, mo- get your money from you before you even are able to get a product, which is backwards. It's bullshit. Mm-hmm. I hate it. I think pre-ordered, if you pre-order a video game, you should get like a 5 or 10% discount. If you're giving your money to something you don't know what you're getting, the only thing that would make me want to do that is either being able to play the game before other people, before people that didn't pre-order it, or a discount from the game. That's the only thing valuable for a pre-order. Don't we do that really with early access on Steam and other things like that? Isn't there like a discount for early access? That's up to the the, the developer. developer. Okay. Yeah. Because there are some games that are more expensive during early access and then they lower it when it's when it comes out because they want the the diehard fans to play it in early access to bug to get like find all the bugs and to beta test it mm-hmm. and to get paid instead of the, the players that are beta testing it getting paid. The company's getting paid for these fucking people to pay to play their game early as beta testers, which is also a very stupid practice, but it makes them money, so they're not going to stop doing it anytime soon. <laughs> but yeah, th- it, that's all up to the developer. I personally don't pre-order games unless I get early access to it, like a couple day head start or a discount on it. That's the only way I'll pre-order a game anymore. Pre-ordering these days is pretty much pointless because exactly all you get are like some oh day one DLC extra gun or extra skin or whatever that will end up on the store anyway. And it's like, what's the point of pre-ordering anymore? There's really not any advantage to doing so, except if you want to play the game day one and get all the content, but it's usually overpriced anyway. I will say, I think the biggest downside to the digital distribution of video games is that my steam library is over a thousand games. My Epic library is well over 150 games. My Good old games library. My GOG library is about 120 games. I've got games on Uplay. 
I've got games on the Microsoft Activision Blizzard launcher that used to be Battle.net. I've got games that I don't even know what they are or where they are that are just in the digital ether somewhere that I have access to, but I don't know about it because I have so fucking many. There's so many different services now. That's why I always, you know, I always buy on Steam because I know where everything is. I don't like Epic Games. I hate Epic Games Store. I've made this clear in the past. And the phys- the actual store itself is a lot better than it was. Just throwing that out there. They're still working on it, which is stupid. They should have finished it before it released or before making it available to the public and pushing it so fucking hard. Well, we saw this with uh, Origin. Like I tried to avoid buying games on Origin because I knew one day it's probably going to fail. They'll shut it down. And then if you can or can't access your games, I don't want to worry about that. And now we have seen Origin come back over to Steam with all their games coming out. I don't know if that's true for Epic Game Store. Probably is. But uh, Epic, I think, is going to last longer than Origin simply because it's got more money behind it. It's got Fortnite money. It's got Tencent money. Uh, it's it, it's just got money backing it. That And the the fact that they're getting so many timed exclusives, and these timed exclusives are not like, two days, three weeks. No, they're a fucking year. So the biggest thing that I could think of that's coming out soon um, that's a timed exclusive for Epic is uh, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, the Borderlands spinoff. That's an Epic exclusive for a year. I believe it's for a year. Of course. Um, uh, the Star Trek Resurgence is coming out. That's a timed exclusive for the Epic Game Store. That's wh- I, I think... That that's why they've been giving out at least one or more free games every week is to try to get people to not care that they have exclusives so that you can build up a library there and play games there. And I, thankfully for me, I bought in like early. I, I've got almost every free game that they've ever offered. That's why I've got like 200 games on Epic right now, mm-hmm. even games that I've already owned and paid money for on Steam. I have again on Epic just because it was free. I don't mind Epic as a game store. Like I, I don't being the person that's like anti everything. It seems I would be the first person I would think that'd be against it, but I really don't have a problem with it the way that I have a problem with individual publishers only releasing their own titles on a game like you play or origin or the Bethesda launcher or any of those. Oh God. Yeah. There's so many now it's really hard to keep track of all the different launchers. Rockstar has one, yeah. Activision Blizzard has one. Yep. It's just whenever somebody makes their own for just their own shit, that's when I've got a problem with it. It's like all the the different uh TV and movie streaming services we have now. We've got Hulu stuff, we got Netflix stuff, stuff you can only watch on Amazon Prime, stuff you can only watch on HBO Max, fucking Peacock now. Um jeez. <laughs> I know it it's like at the beginning of all this it was super av- like it was a great feature. Like you can choose what you want instead of having to buy a package of channels. You never watch say on satellite or cable. Right. But now it's just blown up so much. Like you're spending as much money on all the streaming services as you would on cable. And you have to figure out what show is on which service. Right. So, you know, for me, I maybe only choose one or two a month and then I cancel it. If I don't use it anymore, like right now I've got Netflix and Disney plus, but Maybe in a few months, I'll switch Netflix for Hulu or Disney Plus for, say, Crunchyroll for anime. You know, that kind of thing. For me, it's a little harder because a lot of my stuff is year round. So 
I have Paramount Plus for all my Star Trek stuff, oh, and I, yeah, I would I use it anyway. Yeah. I'd, and I'd use it anyway because of uh, Trek Freaks. Mm-hmm. That's how I watch all my Star Trek for that. But they're getting to the point where there's going to be a new Star Trek every week for a whole year. Like, when one show ends, the next show is going to start. Um, I've got Hulu. I pay for Hulu live TV now because it's the only way that I can watch AEW <laughs> live as it airs. Mm-hmm. That's so I've got that. And then the wife is the one that has the Netflix account. She's got the Amazon Prime account. It's just there's so many of them. There are. Yeah. Like, I'm actually kind of thankful that streaming and gaming hasn't gotten to uh, mainstream yet. See, That's the thing that I wanted to talk about the most, because. So many people were so adamantly against the idea of Google Stadia and the, the, uh, how the Xbox One was originally going to be a digital-only platform before they backtracked on that. Not the, not the Series S and X, but the, the last generation's Xbox One was going to be digital-only mm-hmm. and was going to be mostly for streaming video games on Project X Cloud, their Xbox, Xbox Cloud. I can't say that Xbox cloud, (laughs) which is still not even really a thing yet. I love this idea. If you're going to already have exclusives to PlayStation and Xbox, why not stream them? It takes out the necessity for the physical console. PlayStation now, you can play on your PC. You can play PlayStation exclusives on your PC. Game Pass, you can play Xbox ex- exclusives on your PC. You're just not streaming them at that point. You're downloading them. I think streaming is a fanta- streaming video games is a fantastic idea and is the right future for video games. As long as there's an option to still have your own copy of it as well. Because say somebody wants to play a brand new game but doesn't have $1,000 for the new video card or doesn't have access to a PlayStation 5 or a new video card because supply shortages and stuff's just not available. But you still want to play Mortal Online 2, even though it says it recommends 32 gigs of RAM and a high-end PC. You can stream it on GeForce Now, or you can spend thousands of dollars and upgrade your computer to be able to play it. I think there's some really great accessibility in the future of streaming video games, as long as the infrastructure is in place. You know, before the pandemic, I would have disagreed with you. Yeah. But now that we're seeing shortages on consoles, like I'm still trying to get a PS5. I can't find one for the life of Same. me. And building my current PC, God, that was a headache waiting for a 3080 for over a year. I definitely am starting to see the advantages of streaming as a medium for gaming. I think it is the future especially for people not as fortunate as you and I and exactly. That's don't have full time ability of it. Right. I think it is the next step. No brainer. Like, yeah, it's going to only be advantageous for everybody, not only for us consumers, but also for developers and publishers, especially publishers, because they don't have to spend out the money for physical media. Right. But I, I mean, streaming is a whole nother animal. You have to have servers and all that stuff. So, the, but easier to the thing that, I, Yeah, exactly. But the, the thing that I'm most hesitant about is that there are already... Stadia, we hear that it's probably going under... Uh, by the time this episode comes out, they probably have already shuttered Stadia. Um, PS Now has been open and reclosed, or reclosed and open several times. Like PlayStation Now is built on the infrastructure of a different 
streaming service and I can't remember what it was, what it was called game surf or something like that. Um, and they haven't really gotten anywhere with it. Xbox cloud Luna and GeForce now are all in their infancy. And Luna is only, uh, allowing a certain number of people in for beta testing GeForce. Now you have to pay a crazy amount of money for limited hours for a I look into GeForce now through NVIDIA. It's a cool streaming service and it seems flawless in how it runs. But at the highest tier of it, your your session is limited to eight hours and you're paying monthly for this service. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a good deal to me. Like, I mean, no. I know it's difficult to grant unlimited play, but right, yeah, I think That's- the first person or company, I guess, to revolutionize and basically make it as accessible as possible streaming in a medium i guess streaming as a medium i think microsoft has the biggest chance of that they have now acquired activision blizzard and they're committed to game pass i think that's going to be the biggest force for this as a you know as we move into this new era yeah it's i i agree with that i would think that either google or amazon would have been able to pull it off but Luna is still, as we said, it's in its early, early, early beta phase. Stadia is practically dead. I think it's hilarious that NVIDIA is getting in on this because the whole point that I'm bringing up that this is such a good idea is because we can't buy NVIDIA video cards right now <laughs> because they don't exist. We can't get them. So they're, yep. they're at least... I, my cynical brain is telling me it's them capitalizing on a situation. But it is also filling a service that isn't readily available to everybody. So. I can't give them too much shit for it. I just wish that the infrastructure was in place to make this a more viable way to play video games. Because basically all a user, a player would need is fast internet. And that's not even readily available everywhere. No. So that's inherently an issue mm-hmm. as well. We're getting there though. I mean, we've grown, I guess, you know, I shouldn't speak globally, but at least for the United States, you know, we have readily, like readily available access to fast speed internet and that's in a lot of places yeah but there's still a ton of places that don't look at where frank was living he had to go through uh a freaking mobile wi-fi thing to be able to get fast internet and that was that was just available to him two months ago well that's my point like it's becoming more readily available nationwide i can't speak for global of course but i think as we start to get more readily prepared for having nationwide as well as globally wide internet speeds that are you know relatively fast you'll start to see streaming take off as a new medium for everything like we i think yeah go ahead i think i don't want to talk about meta and the metaverse because it makes me want to vomit that's thinking about it that's basically the next excuse me the next echelon of gaming as a medium i think that'll be the next thing after streaming I wasn't even going to say that. I think that they're going to utilize streaming as a way of playing games within their own meta universe, the metaverse as they're calling it. I think being able to sit down virtually with your friends as gimmicky and stupid as it is, and I don't see a reason for it, and I'm not going to buy into it, and why people are spending money on fake real estate in the meta. Whatever, that's a tangent, another topic for some other time, way down the road. I, I think being able to do that, but actually 
in the world playing a game like people do with their VR headsets now. They can do like a VR chat, but also play a game at the same time and have it streaming into there. And all you need is whatever physical VR or whatever you're wearing at the time. I think that would be cool. And they're probably going to push that to some extent at some point. Streaming is not going away. Digital is not going away. I hope that there's going to be a balance of both until the infrastructure is in place globally for everybody to take advantage of streaming video games as a service. Yeah, I think now that we're seeing this, I think con- like the idea of consoles, like dedicated consoles with physical media, it's going to be phased out. I think we're going to see the end of that eventually. Maybe the next console cycle. People have been saying this for uh, people have been saying that exact thing for a long time. And I think it could have happened after the PS3 Xbox 360. It could have cycle yeah. if people really wanted to, because that's when digital's really taken off, especially with the Xbox 360. Um, there could just be PC or like th- that was a- another thing is that like Alienware and other companies were making a push for gaming consoles. You remember the Steam console, the Steam box? Yeah. As well as the new Steam handheld. I can't remember the name of it now, but. There's all these technologies that. Um, oh, the Steam Deck. Thank you. Yes. Uh, there's all these like innovations in gaming that seem like they should have happened, like they should have worked and they should have taken off. And I think that Microsoft was ahead of the time, was ahead of everybody at the time when the Xbox One came out and they were saying it's going to be an online only console. Mm-hmm. I think it was the wrong time to do that. But it is the future. That is where video games going. It's going to be all online. It's going to be all streaming services. As long as the infrastructure is in place, I'm very hopeful for it. Because then you can play anything on anything. I think Microsoft has all the balls in their court. They have everything they need. They have they have successful Game Pass. And they have the content, and I'm pretty sure they have all the technology too to make it happen. And if they can succeed on all three fronts, I think they'll be the first to make a grand slam, so to speak. I'd be surprised if if Microsoft starts making a big deal of their Project X Cloud or Xbox Cloud or whatever they're calling it, if Google and Amazon don't really kick it into gear with their own. And I wouldn't I'd be surprised if Tencent and other mega global mega corporations like that didn't try getting involved with this. I would be surprised if once again, Facebook didn't try to get involved. So we'll just have to see where that goes, because that could lead to another problem like we have now with TV and movie streaming services is that there are too many options and not everything is right for any one person. And you end up in a pay. You end up paying more than you would if you would have just bought a fucking cartridge in 1985. But hey, if this all (laughs) happens, we can still count on Nintendo for physical media. So (laughs) at least for the next 20 years until they catch up to, you know, 2016. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, I do want to hear some of your guys' opinions. Uh, Let us know what you think about about all of this, man. That was just a trip down memory lane and a good look at what the future could hold. Hopefully for the better. Hopefully for for gaming worldwide. Um. We're on Twitch, we're on Discord, we're on Twitter, we're on TikTok. All the description, all the links are down below in the description. Geek Freaks is everywhere. Frank has been kicking ass on TikTok. I definitely suggest if you like geek news, check out Geek Freaks on TikTok. Absolutely. Uh, leave, leave a review for this if you liked it. Please let us know and we'll give you more content like this. And thanks for listening. Yeah. Appreciate having you here. Have a good one. Love you. <laughs> <laughs>